The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. Hi, Music Row family. Uh, I hope you're having a great morning, and uh, it's really great to come to you. It's been great this week to even connect with several of you on Zoom and to see your faces, and again, uh, I'm praying for the day for this to lift um, this time together so we can meet again and uh, have time uh, just sharing meals and um, just getting together. It's been fun even this uh, week to see how people are sharing that um, that time together. But I wanted to just give a couple brief announcements for how we are continuing to worship, connect, and serve as uh, a location as well as a little bit of what we're doing as a, as a whole church of Christ Presbyterian Church. We are continuing every week to uh, worship at 10 a.m. Our live stream is up on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Join us for that. Love for you to be a part of that. And as well as uh, my sermons and Russ Ramsey, who's the uh, lead pastor at uh, the Cool Springs location, are still recording all of our sermons. And um, they are live, and you can even watch them uh, during the service. Click over in the, in the, after the scripture reading and watch those. Or you can wait and watch them sometime during the week. <clears throat> so it's a great time for you to be able to do that as well. And also to connect. We want to encourage you just this week. Uh, I'm seeing people not only connect by Zoom, but going on walks six feet, feet apart. Uh, I'm seeing people meeting in parking lots and uh, having uh, just sitting down with a drink or so and just gathering and, and talking together just six feet apart uh, in, in open air spaces. Some people are uh, doing that. <clears throat> so if you have moments to connect, make sure you do. I'll tell you, it was so rich for me to do that this week and on a Zoom call with a handful of, uh, of guys just to um, grab some time and just say, hey, how's everybody doing? Pray together. And um, that was really rich for me. Uh, and I know it is for y'all. And also just finally to serve. How do you serve uh, in this time? It's a funny question to ask, how do you serve in a time when we're supposed to be away from each other and can't do anything? But a couple ways just to think about that. One is that you continue to give. Uh, you can give online uh, to our church for its resources that are actually still funneling to the needs of a disaster relief as well as uh, we're actually serving by providing meals and gathering intel of who needs what during this time and may uh, be without uh, certain food or resources uh, as they're confined to their homes. And so there's actually ways to give in that way as, also, as well as also serving by just reaching out. Find somebody next to you. You know, it has been amazing to me to think about all the people that I've been in contact with this last week that I haven't talked to in months, maybe even years. And not just to connect, but also to serve and, and them even serving me by saying, hey, how are you doing? What's it been like uh, being confined? How is it doing life with school at home? And all those things. Serving by loving and sowing the, the good gospel in. So especially when this time lifts, that we are actually ahead and even able to reap a harvest of what the Lord is already doing in the midst of it. So those are just a few ways to do that. I hope you're able to uh, really worship, connect, and serve with us. Um, and so uh, as we continue in this time together, well, I want to read our scripture for us this morning. It's from um, John chapter 12. 
And we're starting now uh, as we enter into Holy Week. We're going to be reading from a, a, a chapter, uh, from a chapter that's actually patterned in all four of the Gospels. If you're unfamiliar with the Gospels, those are the narrative accounts of Jesus, and particularly his life in this section is him entering into Jerusalem, heading towards the week before Good Friday that he would take up the cross and then the Sunday he would rise again. This is from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Hear this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took out palm branches and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. I don't know if you uh, remember the movie Jaws. Nice segue, huh? Uh, but it was a brilliant movie. Great summer movie, uh, summer horror movie. That is, if you don't like swimming anymore because of it. But Jaws was brilliantly made way back in the day. Because, uh, you know, if you remember the movie, the whole film is patterned after the suspense building that there's this ominous shark that no one ever really sees, but maybe parts of it. And then until this great reveal at the end, you see the shark in its full power. But the brilliance of the film didn't come with him initially thinking that. When Steven Spielberg directed and filmed that, the actual intent was that he built this model shark, this giant shark, and when they were filming, it sank to the bottom of the tank they were working in. So he had to kind of go back to the drawing board and think, okay, how are we going to film this thing now that my shark is sunk to the bottom? So he thought, I'm going to rebrand this story. We're going to show bits of the shark. We're going to show a fin. We're going to show water movement. We're going to show maybe part of the, the mouth. We'll show these things. And not until the end will we reveal the full power and weight of this. And it was genius. If you think about what he did, it was, it was masterful. It's act, it actually set the tone for horror and thriller movies after that because it built the suspense, not just of you knew something was going on. You knew that there was this large, ominous creature, but it was what made it suspenseful was seeing just the glimpses of the power, the strength, and then all at the end, it just explodes into this re revelation of here is this shark. You know, um, this passage we just read is, is kind of in that time. You know, we know the end of this story. We know where Jesus is going. We know he's heading to the cross. We know that after this passage, he goes there. <clears throat> but this passage is actually in a time when those people didn't see that yet. You know, it would be easy for us to look at the end first, but these people praising and yelling, Hosanna, blessed uh, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel, they're raising praises. They've only seen glimpses of his power. They've heard his teaching. 
That even says that this crowd that followed him saw him raise somebody from the dead. Another part in verse 18 says there were some that just heard of him doing these things. It's just glimpses all along, building the tension, building the suspense, all to get to the magnificent conclusion of what's coming. And that's where we need to begin. When we look at this passage, and we're looking at the Sunday before Easter, it's considered Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday after the palm branches that were brought out and laid upon the street. And, and as Jesus rode into Jerusalem for this time on the back of a donkey, the whole city was turned upside down. Everyone was asking a question, who is this? Who is this king? It says uh, in, in other uh, accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's this question of who is this guy? <laughs> Who is this magnificent person that we've seen these glimpses of power and and authority in, and yet we haven't really seen what kind of king he is? That's where they are. There's disdain for him. There's cheers for him. There's praise. There's delight. There's wonder. And it all is coming into this moment. And that's where we find ourselves this Palm Sunday. So as we begin Holy Week this way, I want us to ask one question, just one. What kind of a king is this Jesus? What kind of a king is he? Let's ask the question that everyone was asking as they were sitting there actually watching in the moment Jesus riding on a donkey through Jerusalem and and giving him praise. What kind of a king is Jesus? You know, when this passage starts, it's in a great account. You know, there's a great account of, uh, it says, a large crowd. That's in some ways an understatement because in even all the other accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the large crowd was an annual festival that was happening uh, every year. It was their Holy Week. This is a celebration of the Passover and even the Feast of Tabernacles, which that would bring people from all over the regions into Jerusalem. It was a huge stir. It was a lot like our CMA festival that happens in Nashville once a year. It's a huge thing. Streets are shut down. Every corner has its own stage. People are playing music. New bands even come into the city to play. Uh, People that we may or may not have heard of are all playing together. I mean, it's just this annual festival that goes on for the week and it's just highlighted that's what this was it was a massive gathering of everybody in Jerusalem to praise the Lord and in this particular moment they're praising Jesus now he he's what kind of king he is he's a different has he kind of has a different kind of praise but if you notice they say Hosanna In verse 13, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The word Hosanna is actually taken from the Psalms. It's an old uh, uh, cry that was used in the Psalms of Ascent as the people went to worship. In Psalm 118, 25, it calls out this. It wasn't just a random phrase. It means save now. They were giving praise to Jesus because they've seen him do these works. They've seen the glimpses of his power and they want him to act now and so they bring him his praise and what they would do is they would have these palm branches these um, with willow and myrtle tied to them and they would wave them oftentimes even in worship services at this moment when Hosanna was yelled out the men in the audience would raise these lula branches these palm branches up in praise during that save now save now it would be like this in the middle of a a service and they were doing this and they didn't just do this for anybody they did this for a victor 
Typically when palm branches were used, they were used for victors, for those who were redeeming, those who were going to win. And in this case, they wanted the oppression of Rome, the oppression that they'd been under for so long to be taken off. And they saw Jesus as the one that was going to do that. But how? I mean, honestly, what wars has he won? I mean, what, what has he done really that's shown that he's a victor? Why is his praise different than any other king? Why, why is that? I remember, uh, you know, we just had spring break this last week where I don't know how many of you traveled. My spring break was called home. Um, but <clears throat> it was uh, several years ago when I was in college, one of my uh, best friends growing up was high school and I and in college, uh, he and I took a road trip across uh, 11 states in nine days. Yeah, so talk about stuck in a car and uh, we enjoyed and learned a lot more about each other we didn't even know. And one of the places we decided to go was to drive um, to Graceland uh, in Memphis, not far from here. But at that time, we were coming all over the country. And, and we thought, hey, let's go to, let's go to Graceland, and we're going to get flowers. We're going we're gonna to put one of the things, a bunch of college guys, you know, we're going to lay flowers on Elvis's grave, you know, a bunch of freshmen, college freshmen. So we go to Graceland. We get in. I don't know if you've ever been to Graceland. Some of you may be huge Elvis fans and have traveled there before. We get there, we get into the space, and, and you know, they give you kind of a, a warning before you go in that, that in, in Elvis's time, his home was a mansion. It was seen as that. Now it's a, kind of almost an ordinary house with some uh, interesting and yet gaudy uh, symbolism. But as we went in, we went down into what's known the jungle room, and it really is a strange place. Plants, carpet on the walls, a green, odd place. And my friend, being um, the funny guy that he is, decides he's going to kneel in the jungle room. So he kneels in the jungle room. And as I'm sitting there chuckling right next to him, uh, a woman comes up and puts her hand on his shoulder and, uh, as if to, and starts saying, it's okay, it's okay, he's, he's still with us. He's still with, and at that time, I start backing away very slowly to leave him in his awkward moment of praising the king. <laughs> It'd be easy to see this uh, as, as that. These people are praising Jesus, and in some way, they don't really know who they're praising. He hasn't won a battle. He hasn't uh, shown super victory over the Romans in any sort, but yet they recognize something in him. Is their praise mocking? Is it real? What kind of praise are they giving him? In some sense, it's kind of awkward. Even in Luke's account of this version, here's what's interesting. The Pharisees see all these people saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And they recognize, they say, y'all may not, Jesus, you need to tell these people to stop saying these things. And Jesus says the most amazing thing. He says, if you close their mouths, if you quiet them, these very stones will cry out. Wait, wait, what? Like very stones will cry. What, what, what in the world does that mean? For him to refer to creation, giving praise is not a small thing at all. In fact, it is a huge deal. It means this. It means that if everything is shut, every mouth is closed, that even creation recognizes the, where praise is due. It's due to the creator. It's due to the one that is greater than it. Here's what's encouraging about this. Even when our praise is fickle, misapplied, 
maybe misunderstood, even lacking. Maybe this morning, uh, even during the, the live stream or, or, or this week, your, your praise, what we would know as praise is, is, is really tired, especially praise of maybe the Lord. But what makes his praise different than any other is that his praise is due to him because he is over and above anything else in all creation. Even what we are experiencing in difficulty of creation. Like we could shut every door. We could not even have these cameras rolling and me being recorded at any point. And yet his praise doesn't stop. Nothing can close the mouths of this world to praise the actual king. And that is Jesus. This, this week is an interesting one. You, you could praise a lot of things, right? My question would be, what are you giving praise to? You know, I, I, right now, especially I, as we're even met before this, we were giving praise to the things that are kind of getting us through the week, be it a Netflix show, something else. We give praise to things that give us delight, that draw out. It's an expression of. Just yesterday, we were able to <clears throat> have, just as a gift, a few food trucks to come to our neighborhood, which is such a, a great thing for them and their business and us and our neighborhoods just to kind of feel like we're out. And everybody was out. And at this one, maybe you know the Grilled Cheesery, which is a great place. Love it. Great grilled cheeses. They come in and... Um, we, we see the grilled cheeses. We not only get that, I got a grilled cheese. Not just, we've been making grilled cheeses in our house for weeks, right? I've made probably more grilled cheeses this last couple, you know, weeks or days than I have in, in a long time. <laughs> and yet to have this grilled cheese warm in this bag. And not only did I just get a regular grilled cheese, you know, I got a pimento mac and cheese grilled cheese. Thing had mac and cheese, mac and cheese, noodle, mac and cheese, pimento cheese, cheddar cheese, and then even bacon on top of that. Can you imagine? I mean, I was like, it was, it was, it was worthy. And it was so good and so rich. These are the things we praise, right? What did it do? It, it caused my taste buds to explode, but it caused my insides, my heart to say, this is so magnificent. In the middle of what may feel like such darkness and um, sadness and difficulty, a grilled cheese caused my, my, my being to lift up out. And if a grilled cheese can, how much more if we really see the one who actually is the creator of all of it, the one who is actually in command, the one who the very rocks cry out to, how much more should we give him our praise? This, this is encouraging to us. It means this too. Here's the best part about it. It means that Jesus isn't king because he's coming through there and is receiving praise. It means that because he's king, because he's on the throne, because he has never been moved from that, that he warrants our praise. And isn't that the king we want? Isn't that where our praise should go? One that doesn't, a kingship that doesn't get thrown off by a COVID-19 virus. But that is above it. Someone who gives, receives praise because, because of, he plunges himself to the depths of where maybe the darkest parts 
of our heart may be in, in the center rises up out so that we can know, we can praise someone who is above and beyond and in control of it all. Someone who deserves our praise. Someone who addresses our real self. Isn't that what praise we, we're giving praise to these days? Something that, that addresses the deepest parts of us. Some, something that, that hits us in the real parts and, and pain and lifts us up out. What lifts us up more than the one who has created this whole world? See, because even in this, here's what's fascinating. Their chance of praise would turn from Hosanna in the highest to crucify him. You see, this Jesus coming through, he shapes our praise because he is king. He doesn't just come and walk through the streets that day in order to prove himself, but to draw and lift those people, even misunderstanding, misapplied, maybe apathetic, saying here's someone else thinking they can free us, and yet he does so knowing that his praise is warranted, never changed because of our hearts, but draws and lifts our hearts up into him. He's a different kind of king because of this praise. But he's also a different kind of king in who he is. Who is this guy? Because his reign is different. So when we talk about a king, we typically think of a king who's going to present himself, right? Present him or herself to come in with authority who has this. But why a cult? Why in the world? Verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey, donkey's colt. What a strange thing. Is this fatigue? I mean, is this a random moment? Actually, is calling back to memory. That's why it's actually, even if you look at maybe your scriptures, your Bible, it pulls it out. It's, it's referring to memory. Because it's saying here that there's something different. See, this is not the first time somebody ra- you know, came through Jerusalem, even, even on palm branches into the city. In the second century BC, Judas Maccabeus, during the Maccabean revolt, actually came in riding on a horse, bearing a sword, and let, would lead a revolt that would eventually be squelched against the Roman army to try and free the uh, Jewish people from oppression. Even before that, uh, years and years before that, in 1 Kings, you can read about this, that David, 1 Kings in the Old Testament, David, uh, David's proclamation of Solomon, his son, as the heir to his throne, did this in a very similar fashion. So you can see this is a pattern. This isn't a first time. But what is different about Jesus doing this? Is he, is he doing this for appearance sake or is this for something different? Or is this a deeper reality? <clears throat> I love in uh, The Atlantic had this great uh, article called the, hum- the Science of the Humble Brag, Why It Doesn't Work. And one of the things it talks about here in uh, The Atlantic, it says that praise and sympathy... They are two of life's essentials. It's the oxygen and carbon dioxide of social interaction. The humble brag is like this, right? Man, I'm exhausted from Memorial Day weekend. It's so hard getting to have the weekend in Nantucket. That's kind of one of those humble brags. Probably been a part of it. Sure, we've done it ourselves plenty, right? But what this says, this article says, fascinating, it says, but it sits at the center of these competing needs and it is a boast in sheepish clothing. The drive 
to satisfy these two goals of praise and sympathy come together at once in a double failure. Two fundamental goals in life are to get people to be impressed by us and to feel sympathy for us. But in this humble brag era, they fall apart. See, Jesus' entry is anything but a humble brag. He's not just changing the way he comes in to ride on a donkey just to show him he's a little different from those riding in on horses or in chariots. And he's not doing it to warrant sympathy. He doesn't need sympathy. He's coming in to show that his reign as a king is humility. See, most people coming through Jerusalem and most people in our lives are trying to make history, right? We're we're trying to find our place in history. We're trying to make our mark and say, this is who I am in this historical moment. This is how I've led. This is who I am to be. But Jesus, Jesus isn't trying to make history. He's fulfilling it. And that is a radically different thing in terms of what he, who he is as a king. He's fulfilling an actual prophecy. He's fulfilling a prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9. that talks about the king is going, and that is again in the Old Testament, it's a prophet. It's a prophet who has said, there is going to be one who's a king who's going to come. And how he will come is not in pomp and circumstance, but in humility. Because he's fulfilling it, not making it he's not having to make his mark he's not having to prove himself he's coming in to say I am not your typical king and I'm not only fulfilling history because I'm I'm coming in different I'm fulfilling it because the prophecies all the language it's all about me this is why people would want to follow him. I mean, what kind of victory, what kind of victor is he? What kind of palm branches? What has he really defeated? He's going lower to actually be defeated in many people's eyes in order to be the victor. See, this is why so many would follow him, and yet it was so different. See, Zechariah is talking about him being different than any other king because he's actually, instead of taking the crown by force or putting it on his head or trying to make himself something, he's actually laying his crown aside. This isn't even something that's heralded humility as a a leader by these standards, but by any. Uh, Top level five leadership. There's an article written, The Triumph of Humility and Fierce Resolve, written by Jim Collins. It's an article from Harvard, Harvard Business Review some time ago. He said this, The essential ingredient for taking a company to greatness is having a level five leader, an executive in whom extreme personal humility blends paradoxically with intense professional will. He says this, he contrasts in this article the turnaround successes of outwardly humble, even shy executives with those of larger than life business leaders. This is why verse 17 and 18 here say this. They knew that there was some power. They knew that there was something different. Verse 17 says the crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. What it's referring to is just before this that Jesus is able to call against death. His actual voice itself calls against death and death listens. What kind of king can do that? What kind of person who is is of power can do that? And yet he submits himself. What kind of victor is he? He's the one that not only they witnessed Lazarus come out of the tomb and he spoke against death, but those who heard about it, verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him. 
is that they heard what he had done in this sign. That Jesus is the kind that we need because he not only calls against death, he has this strength, this glimpse of this power, and yet he puts himself humble, even lower. In fact, the Greek in this passage is exactly similar to one that you may have heard of before where it says the character of Jesus' yoke is one of humility. That his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's not someone who comes in to say, you need to take on a new burden. Because I'm king, it's time for you to step up. He actually says no. Because I am the king who I am. And worthy of this praise. But yet, I'm worthy because I stoop down. I go further and lower than ever you would imagine. St. Augustine said it this way. He said, I've read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are wise and very beautiful, but I have never read in either of them. Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden. What Jesus takes on is different. Why his reign is different, his rule as king is different, is because it's not one of an iron fist. It's one who gets his hands pierced. It's of humility. It's of him going plunging himself into the deepest darkness that every one of us has experienced and is probably experiencing right now. It's the fact that in his humility, in this reign, he he doesn't put himself above on a horse. He comes in low on a donkey, moving ever closer. Every step of the hooves of that colt are towards the path of the cross. See, this is what's so different about this king is that this king is moving to the cross and all the praises of Hosanna would be turned to crucify him. Crucify him. And yet what warrants his praise is that in no way does he waver because he had to stoop low. He had to plunge himself into the depths of where we think we rule so that he could win us in glory. You know, that's the difference in this kind of king, not just the different praise that he receives, or different reign that he rules in humility, but but what makes Jesus king, really? I mean, if you think about the time we're in right now, his humility is great, his praise he's deserved, but all of us may be at home and even feeling like, I love Lord Jesus and I'm praying every day for change. I'm praying for all of these things and we grow weary and yet he remains the same. How do we know he's powerful enough? When is the big reveal? We see glimpses here. Maybe we feel a lot like them that we're on the road and we see glimpses of it. But when is he really going to lift the oppression? When is it going to be really taken off of us? How do we know he has the power to do this? Here's where it is. It's in the fact that John's gospel, different than the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke actually set this period right in the moment. You you, you see the walking on the road continuing, but John does something different. In verse 16, he gives a flashback where this only makes sense in light of something. Verse 16 says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. You see, 
The difference in this king is that, yes, he is worthy of all praise. Yes, he comes in different than any other because he is truly humble in his reign. But it's because his power is so real that it really impacts him. It's the only way they remember. It's through his glorification. That means it's through him going to the cross and then coming, not only speaking against death, but going into death. And then rising again, that everything else makes sense. It's the end of the movie that makes sense of the rest. It's seeing Jesus in his full power, his full glory, that makes sense of him calling to death and it recognizing his voice and even submitting himself to it so that he can die and come against it and call it out. See, they remembered what was written about him and done to him. Coursing through Jesus' veins in his flesh and blood is the fulfillment of all history. In his life, all of history is moving with him. He's not having to make his mark. He is our mark. He is the one that's changed this. This is why we need to remember because of what was done to him for us. What was written about him and done to him. I want you to think of two things as you remember this. Remember praise. I want you to know that when Jesus prays in uh, the Hosanna passage, when it says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's from Psalm 180, uh, 118, 25, 26. But verse 27 says this, this is, and this is what we should remember as well. This verse, right after the praise and blessing, says, Bind the festival sacrifice with cords and bring it up to the horns of the altar. It's a picture of them carrying the sacrifice to the altar. Because where is this king going? To the cross. Remember, his praise isn't just the fact that he addresses things that we want right now. But his walk to the cross is a crisis sometimes for us because he addresses everything that we need. And he, even when your praise is weak, even when you are tired as I am, even when just as my last week felt like it was one of the weirdest, strangest, most overwhelming weeks I've had in a long time, and I leaked it sideways on everyone around me, whether on a phone call or in my home. That what warrants my praise is the fact that this one doesn't just receive the Hosanna in the highest, but he is the one bound in the festival sacrifice with cords. And he is the one who is up to the horns of the altar. Remember that praise and remember his reign. Zechariah 9, the passage doesn't just talk about someone who rides in on a donkey, but you know what it says is his rule extends from sea to sea because he is the agent through which salvation comes. That's what Zechariah 9 actually says. Jesus isn't just the kind of king that we may think. He is so humble he is worthy of all praise, but remember, his power is greater. Remember, in this time, as we are even longing to go to the table, and most of the time, as I've said in my sermons, I walk to the table in this time. But you know what? This is a great time, is to remember everything that has been written and done to him. Remember 
what he has done. Remember his power. Remember those things. Take it up in your soul. Remember that in flesh and blood, history goes with him. Remember that he is due all praise because all creation around us is submitted to him. Even this virus, he is taking up in him so that we ourselves cannot be defeated by anything and cannot be separated from the one who comes in humility and yet is glorified in all power and glory. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're a king like no other. Thank you that you have gone into not only Jerusalem and overturned the city, but you've actually gone into each of our hearts and overturned everything within us. You've changed the dynamic of praise so that we not only praise you, but praise makes sense. And yet you take it up even when we're weary, even when we're misapplied, even when we don't know. And yet with every step, you didn't make his, you didn't have to force us to find you king. You you were fulfilling history so that we would see you as the king. Thank you for the power that you revealed. Would you cause us to remember as we look at all of these accounts, remember these things that have been written about you and done to you so that we might give you true praise and our hearts and our whole selves would be lifted up and knowing that you are taking care of us now and forevermore. Amen. Now let's sing our doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. If you would like to raise your hands and your hearts to receive the Lord's benediction. Now may that one, as we just sang in all praise, the one who is worthy of all praise, that is Jesus, who came in flesh and blood to fulfill all history and yet humble himself to go to the cross so that he might be glorified and we remember always in him. Be now with you and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.